20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 159 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. You can follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. Today, I am joined by two very special guests and two Pack-A-Day podcast regulars. Uh, first, I am joined by Jacob Westendorf, who, of course, is, again, a regular contributor here on the Pack-A-Day podcast. He is also a podcaster for the Packer Pulse. Um, you will be able to find him in the Cheesehead TV draft guide this offseason. He will be doing the interior offensive lineman. And then my second guest today is Tyler Grezegorik, who is a writer for Fansighted, a writer for Lombardi Avenue, as well as The Clutch Point. Of course, he is also one of our regulars here on the Pack-A-Day podcast, and he will also be found in the Cheesehead TV draft guide this year, uh, writing the interior defensive lineman scouting reports. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super pumped to be talking to you both, even if it is after a brutal 31 to nothing loss at the hands of the Detroit Lions. But how are you fellas doing this evening? Yeah, I think if we had talked right after the game, it might be a little bit more, uh, you know, rambunctious over here. But uh, have a, I've had a couple hours to calm down now, so I'm ready to talk about the the loss and the season and just kind of take it, you know, in its entirety. I yeah, appreciate thank- that. Yeah, thankfully I've had three hours of travel to kind of wind down from that. It's one of the worst games I've ever seen in person. Uh, but thankfully, uh, as has been mentioned several times, it doesn't matter all that much. It's finally over and we can move to 2019, which hopefully is a much better result. Yeah, I would I would say that's definitely the hope at this point. Jacob, you obviously were at the game. What was kind of the atmosphere like? How, um, you know, how anxious did the fans get? I know you could hear some booing over the TV, but also at the end of the game, it seemed like there was still a decent amount of fans. I know they were doing the wave, even it was down oh, 24 to nothing. But what was kind of the atmosphere there? Well, let me start. I hate the wave. So, oh, for sure. <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> that, but, um, you know, the, the loudest the booing got was really at the end of the first half when Deshaun Kaiser was playing quarterback and there's nine seconds left and they're at midfield. I think it was fourth and one and Joe Philbin decided to punt instead of, you know, running around, throwing up a Hail Mary, essentially giving the Lions another chance to score if there's a bad punt, a block punt, whatever. Um, but other, otherwise, after that, the stadium, you mentioned the wave at 24 to nothing. At 31 to nothing, the stadium was cleared out pretty good. I would say the stands were probably half or to a third full by the time uh, the middle of the fourth quarter hit. So there wasn't a whole lot of angst in the crowd or anything like that. I think you could hear everybody kind of holding their breath anytime Rogers dropped back to pass, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but yeah, the atmosphere was, I mean, it was a meaningless game. It was, I would probably liken it to a a preseason game um, that the quarterback just happened to start. Okay. No, that, that sounds about exactly right. Cause that's pretty much exactly what this game was, was a, a glorified exhibition game. Um, so of course the lions lose or lions win 31 to nothing Packers lose 31 to nothing. And of course, green Bay ends the season six, nine and one on the year, just to throw some really fun statistics at you guys from this game. Uh, the lions outgained the Packers in yardage 402 yards to 175 uh, lions won first downs 25 to nine. Lions outpassed the Packers 272 yards to 129 yards. Lions outrushed the Packers 130 yards to 46 yards. Lions won time of possession 37 minutes to 23 minutes approximately. 
Lions also won the turnover battle, had less penalties, more sacks, and of course, a better third down percentage. Um, and oh, by the way, uh, Aaron Rodgers, the franchise quarterback who's making over $100 million, uh, left the game with a concussion. Uh, so it was just this gem of a game. Uh, let's start with you, Tyler. What were some of your takeaways? Honestly, the game in just its whole wasn't it was uninspiring and depressing and I, if, uh, I found myself having a really hard time just watching the game in general. Uh, this may have been the worst loss of the season, even outside, or even including the Cardinals game, which I thankfully did not have the ability to watch. Um, just uh, it was just overall like sad. You could tell the team had given up. You could tell that they weren't really all there. And this was exactly what I did not want to see coming out of the win against the Jets last week. I wanted to see them build off of that win uh, and not regress like they did. Um, So overall, I was very, very disappointed and very sad uh, by the time the final final, uh, call came. Jacob, what about you? I I mean, I've been talking about this uh, for what feels like the last couple hours now between people I've been on the phone with on my ride home. But I my general takeaway from this game is the irresponsibility of, and this is a topic we're going to get to, so I don't mean to bury the lead, but uh, the irresponsibility of Mark Murphy and uh, Brian Gutekunst and to some degree, Joe Philbin. Uh, I don't want to be disrespectful to Joe Philbin and call him just a figurehead, but Aaron Rodgers didn't need to play in this game and subjecting him to anything, especially his number one receiver didn't play. Devontae Adams didn't even suit up. And according to Ryan Wood, that was decided earlier in the week. Like they pretty much knew he wasn't going to play. And as soon as that was true and David Bakhtiari was banged up, that guy doesn't need to be in the game. That's $134 million that you're putting on the line for a game that doesn't matter at all. And, you know, you've mentioned it. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money for somebody. They need to be their franchise cornerstone here for the next couple of years. And, it's, it's Aaron Rodgers' responsibility to want to play and do the things and say the things he said, and he's done everything the right way since their playoff hopes ended. But it's Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst's job to say, no, Aaron, uh, this is what is in your best interest, and uh, that's what we're going to do. So I lay the blame at the feet of those two gentlemen specifically, and Aaron Rodgers left the stadium today in an ambulance, according to – I read the tweet from Acme Packing Company. I don't know if they were the ones who reported it uh, or if somebody else did, but that's something that never needed to happen. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, the biggest takeaway from this game is Roger's injury. Uh, We'll jump into that in just a moment. Um, My kind of minor-ish takeaways from this game uh, I, first of all, kudos to Kyler Fackrell, 10 and a half sacks on the year, uh, hitting that 10 sack milestone. I think that was besides Devontae Adams having the potential to break some records, uh, which we obviously knew wasn't going to be the case once he was injured. That was kind of the one potential milestone-ish thing that was left to happen. And he was able to get that sack to get over 10. Um, Mark Quez Valdez Scantling, you know, he only ended with three catches for 43 yards. Uh, he had a clutch catch on, uh, on a third down, which was a contested catch and really should have completely torched uh, Darius Slay for a touchdown and would have had Kaiser been able to get him the football. And that's a few times this year now where MVS has completely beat uh, the opposing corner. And unfortunately, the quarterback, in this case, Kaiser, earlier in the year, Rodgers, was unable to get him the football. And Darius Slay, of course, one of the best corners in football. Uh, so for him to, to torch him off the line, get that separation, it's unfortunate that Kaiser couldn't pay that off because that was a great play. I think had uh, had the quarterback play been a little bit better, MVS would have had a, a pretty impressive game. Um, I think this is – well. 
and we'll touch base on the coaches in just a little bit in a moment. But I think we can officially say, at least in my opinion, that this is the end of the Joe Philbin era. Uh, he went two and two, and I personally don't think he ever had a realistic shot at this job. Um, I guess maybe with the caveat of if he somehow went four and zero, and the Packers made the playoffs somehow then maybe, you know, and, and they made a run, maybe he would have been given a chance to to continue that next year. But outside of something crazy, I don't think he ever really had a chance at it. Um, and I think today's loss certainly cemented that. Um, and then last but not least, uh, of course, with another Ron Zook special, the fake uh, special teams play for the Lions where they they faked the field goal through an easy touchdown where no one was even, even covering him on the play. The level of special teams on this team all season long was beyond a joke and certainly one of the biggest, maybe not the biggest reasons, but a huge contributing factor as to why this team is 6-9-1. and one. Uh, Any thoughts on that, guys? Well, if you follow yeah, me on Twitter, absolutely. you know exactly how I feel about Ron Zook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your Twitter handle has fire Ron Zook, I think, exactly in it, correct? Yes, exactly. I, I can't stand the fact that he's still on this Packers staff. I don't know what they're waiting for because if they carry him into 2019, that is just a huge disservice to the 2019 team already. I, I don't know what they're waiting for. I, I, it's inevitable to me, and I'm just kind of waiting for it to happen. But uh, I'm just waiting. <laughs> so, Yeah, yeah absolutely. Jacob, any uh, last thoughts on uh, your takeaways from the game? Yeah, for Ron Zook specifically, I mean, this is a guy who was hired with no qualifications whatsoever to be a special teams coach. Uh, I am from Illinois. I know he was the coach for this state's university, and that was horrible. He wasn't a good coach at Florida. And it really hit, I mean, the Packers special teams seem to always find a way to hit a new low. You know, last week I was like, okay, they gave up a 100-yard kick return for a touchdown. Nobody does that anymore because nobody returns kickoffs anymore. They found a way to do it, and they still found a way to hit a new low today because not only did Matt Prater throw a touchdown pass against them, nobody even knew he was out there. And there's a picture that surfaced of Ron Zook standing there with his arms crossed, like he has no idea what's going on on the course of a play. And there was somebody stand. I mean, people in the stands were pointing out that there's somebody standing over here wide open. So that was embarrassing to epic proportions. Uh, and it's not the first time. And hopefully it is the last time that Ron Zook's able to do that to this special teams unit. Yeah, I think the Ron Zook era is officially over. I think it's very safe to say that uh, unequivocally and and thankfully so. It probably lasted uh, longer than it ever should have. It probably never should have started in the first place. All right, so Jacob, you jumped into this already, which is a great thing. I think this is the major topic of discussion that pretty much everyone's going to be talking about, has been talking about, and will continue to talk about probably for the next few days here. And that's should Aaron Rodgers have played in this game. Of course, he leaves with a concussion. He has some uh, history of concussions. He's got uh, two concussions, although they were back in 2010. Um, They did previously have to fit him for different helmets and things because there was some concern uh, about the concussions that he was taking. And he hasn't uh, officially had any until uh, today uh, since 2010. Uh, But this is, of course, a a major issue, the fact that he's taking head injuries in a game that, again, is a glorified exhibition game. I have been talking with people for, you know, a couple weeks now as to whether or not Aaron Rodgers should be playing in this game. Of course, there is the question of quote unquote tanking. The the idea of better draft picks comes up and and a better schedule next year. There's all of these things that kind of go into it. Um, But Tyler, I'm going to start with you. Where, where do you start? You know, where do you kind of fall in this idea of whether or not Aaron Rodgers should have been playing specifically in this game, but kind of in the Jets game as well? Well, I think, you know, we, uh, Jacob and I actually talked about this following the Jets game. Uh, 
you know, the week leading up to it, I didn't feel as though Rodgers had any part or should have had any part of that game. Um, you know, he had all the comments about leadership and he has to lead from the front. And I completely agree with that, that mentality and that idea. And I think Jacob put it really well when he said that that's Rogers responsibility. That's what he needs to do. And that's what he did. He did nothing wrong here. The coaches needed to be the ones to step in and say, Hey, you know, for the longevity of this franchise, for your long-term longevity or long-term health, rather, you should not be playing in these final games. We're, we're too banged up on the offensive line. Your receivers are injured. Like we're going to sit these other guys that are on the same, you know, level of importance to us, i.e. Devonte Adams. You should not be playing in this game or games. Um, and I just, I do believe it was a little irresponsible, the coaching staff and it falls back on Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy a little bit too, to kind of not step in and say something, you know, they want to have that division and that communication element between them. But at some point, they do need to step up and you know take control if they don't feel like Philbin is making the right calls. Um, so just to keep it short, I don't feel like he should have played. And now there could be long-term repercussions when you talk about the severity of this possible concussion. And Jacob, I, th- I think you know we could probably glean from your comment earlier. You don't believe you should have been playing. Um, is uh, obviously one is that the case, and then two, do you feel that that was the same last week against the Jets as well, or was it just this week that you think he should have sat down? I, no, I think he should have sat both games. Uh, they did the same exact thing last year. You know, they lose to Carolina and the season's over and they sit Rodgers down. And I don't see why this year was any different. I mean, I know last year he had the collarbone injury, but I mean, they really, everything that's come out since then, you can pretty much believe that they said he had a setback to avoid them from getting in trouble because they put him on injured reserve. And obviously the rules state that if they put a player on injured reserve that doesn't belong there essentially that they can release. They have to release that player. The NFL is never <laughs> going to make them do that. But I think that this year, you know, he should have ceded control of the offense, if you will, to Deshaun Kaiser for these last two games. I do wonder if that's something they would have done had they not been over on the road. Uh, but since they weren't, um, I, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know who was calling the shots here, but Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst, again, I, I mentioned it earlier. I think they did a disservice to the franchise by not putting Rodgers in check here because, like you said, you know, Tyler said it. We've all kind of said it. Rodgers' job is to want to play and to play 16 games. That's what they pay him to do. It's the front office and the organization's job as a whole to keep him safe, and they didn't do that. So, no, he shouldn't have played either of these last two games. And that's not tanking for draft position either because we've talked about that before. It's just keeping the long-term interest of the franchise at the front of the front of the spectrum here. Yeah, I unequivocally agree. And, you know, Tyler, from a from a coaching standpoint, I don't necessarily blame Joe Philbin. In fact, you know, Joe mm-hmm. Philbin needed to win as many games as possible to show that he was capable uh, of leading this franchise going forward. So I don't necessarily blame him. I, I think it was Mike, or excuse me, it was uh, Aaron Rodgers' position that he should have wanted to play and wanted to win. I think it should, should have been Joe Philbin's position that he wanted Rodgers to play and wanted to win. But I agree, Jacob, absolutely that. I, I think this falls on, you know, Brian Gutekind and you know to an extent Mark Murphy dependent upon how involved he is in day-to-day operations but I think it's the the front office's responsibility to step in this is not just a, a game and you know people have talked about well the integrity of the game things like this is a business this is a long-term business and the biggest thing that they need to be worried about going forward is protecting some of their most important assets and Aaron Rodgers at this point in the Packers franchise 
is the most important asset. And going into this game, going into last game, I said the optics on if he gets a major concussion or head injury, a broken neck, a torn ACL, any sort of career-ending injury, the optics of that in a meaningless game are beyond terrible. Because obviously if it's career-ending, you don't get out of that $100 guarantee. You still pay that. You are basically handicapping this franchise for the next four years uh, in that type of situation and risking that in what is, again, all but a meaningless exhibition game. And uh, same thing, if he, even if it's not a career ending injury, if it's a torn ACL, for example, and he's out six to eight weeks of next year, that's a lost season. You're not winning, you know, probably four or five of those games. You're probably going two and four. So Mm -hmm. I think it's unequivocally uh, silly that they did not sit him down. And this is not, I've had a lot of people say, well, you know, you can't just go out there and try to lose games. You're not trying to lose games. It should have been a hundred percent on Mike, uh, excuse me, on Joe Philbin to continue to try to win those games with Deshaun Kaiser. The wins here are that you sit down players like David Bakhtiari and Aaron Rodgers, guys that are beat up and need some additional rest and are going to be back on this team next year. You get to view your young guys. You get to view Deshaun Kaiser. You get to view MVS and EQ and all of these different players that need additional snaps, Robert Tanyan. Um, And then, you know, you make sure that your product going into next year is the best product that it can possibly be. And again, if you have a hurt Aaron Rodgers, it's not the best possible product. And head injuries are nothing to mess around with. And yeah, he's probably going to be fine. And I'm sure he's going to be back easily by, you know, uh, you know, mini camp and OTA next year. And it's not going to be this lingering issue. But what if he was, let's say, three concussions away from his career ending? Well, now one of those concussions was just in a game that did not matter. So I think it's absolutely silly uh, that he was playing in these two weeks. And no, this is this is a reboot. This is next year, twenty nineteen is going to be a complete reboot. New coaching staff, maybe Mike Patton is back, but for the most part, this is going to be ninety five percent or more new coaching staff. You're going to have a new lead scout. There's going to be maybe twenty five to thirty ish players that are back on this team. About half of this team is going to be a brand new team. So you're having a full reboot. Uh, going into next year. And I, I don't think anyone's going to remember their win against the Jets as a rallying point come 2019. Nope. Rant over. <laughs> <laughs> Any Anything uh, uh, that's uh, disagreeable with anything I said there? No, you just basically took the, uh, the idea of momentum from game to game and said it wasn't real. So I'm all for that. <laughs> Fair enough. Tyler, any last Fully on board. On yeah. yeah, I'm and- fully on board with everything you just said. And and here's the thing. I've I've heard a lot of Packer fans say that, you know, and I, and to an extent, I fully agree winning breeds winning and losing breeds losing. And, you know, some of these younger players, Jamal Williams, for example, and, and some of the first and second year players, they haven't experienced a lot of winning. In fact, the rookies hadn't experienced a win on the road until that win against the Jets. And is some of that stuff potentially maybe a little bit important? Sure, maybe. Let's just say it is. And, and I And I can understand that. But this is a... This is a, a idea of trying to win Super Bowls. It's not just trying to win games here and there. I don't care if they go zero and four in the exhibition season next year because because it has no uh, pensions upon how they do in the regular season and how they win in a Super Bowl. Those wins and losses don't matter. My next goal is to win the 2019 Super Bowl. And these two games, the Jets and the Lions, do absolutely nothing for me to try to win that Super Bowl. And the biggest way that I can win that Super Bowl is to make sure that Aaron Rodgers and David Bakhtiari and Devontae Adams and Corey Lindsley and Kenny Clark and Jair Alexander and the best of the best players on this team are healthy going into next season. And they 
they risked that by playing some of their players uh, in today's game. I thought my rant was over. I had one more apparently in me. <laughs> All right. Let's jump to something a little bit more positive. Uh, let's kind of just touch base on the season as a whole. I'm sure we're going to be doing a lot of kind of season recap episodes as we continue along with the Pack-A-Day podcast, but the season's now officially over. Let's just kind of look back as kind of a brief review. Um, Jacob, I'll start with you. Who was your MVP for the Packers this season? Well, I'm the self-proclaimed president of his fan club from 2015, along with Ross Uglum and uh, Zach Cruz. That's Devontae Adams. I don't know how you can go anywhere else personally, but I'm willing to listen to you guys if you got somebody else. But, I mean, he would have broken the record for single-season receptions. You saw his value on the field today with the Packers offense basically being able to do nothing. This guy's a bona fide star. He's a top-five receiver in all football. He gutted it out last week with a knee injury and had a fantastic year by any statistical measure you want to go with. That guy was the team MVP. There's no question in my mind. Devontae Adams is a star and a cornerstone player to this franchise, which is really, really a good story considering this time, you know, this time a couple years ago, the Packers were getting ready to take on the Minnesota Vikings at home in a game they would lose to lose the division. And Adams was kind of a dud. And there are some people asking him if he's a draft bust. And he hasn't been that by any stretch since then. He's just gotten better every single day to use a coach's speak there. So I apologize for that. (laughs) But Devontae Adams is that guy for me. And I don't think there's any question. Tyler? Yeah, and for the sake of discussing something on the podcast, I am going to pick somebody else, but it should far and away be Devontae Adams. Um, but who I'm going to go with uh, for this for this segment um, is really it's an MVP of a group of players, and it's a group of players that kind of underperformed this year, and that's the offensive line. I'm actually going to go with Corey Lindsley, and he's a little bit, you know, I think David, B- David Bakhtiari is probably the most important player on that in that group, but – Corey Lindsley stepped up this year and performed in a big way. Uh, they they obviously saw something in him after they gave him the contract extension the past offseason, you know. But he came in this year and he was he was solid, he was reliable, and he was very durable. I mean, he didn't play um, I, if I remember correctly. I don't think he played today, but he was he was there uh, for the entire season, and they could rely on him. And they ran to his side. Or, or sent him to the side where they were running a lot. And he was a very, very important part of that offense and that offensive line. Sure. I, I certainly like Corey Lindsley's uh, season. He did play today. Uh, and uh, okay. I think it was Lane Taylor who uh, didn't start, but eventually did play once Bakhtiari went down. Um, and I, I certainly think he had a really nice season. And like you said, Tyler, for the sake of discussion, we could go a couple different places here, but I, I think we're kind of all on the same page that this was Devontae Adams season. And uh, for a long time, we would ask as Packer fans, what would some of these receivers look like if they didn't have Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre throwing them the football? Well, for me this year, I started to kind of ask the question, what would this team and kind of specifically, what would Aaron Rodgers look like if they didn't have Devontae Adams to throw the football to? And obviously Aaron Rodgers didn't play the full game today, but we kind of got a little bit of a sneak peek as to what that looked like. And again, this offense was absolutely abysmal today. 175 total yards, um, you know, 129 passing yards. And even when Rodgers was in there, they could not do absolutely anything. And I I think today was a a huge indicator of just how much Devontae Adams means to this team. And he has just been so ridiculously good and certainly to me deserving of that MVP award for the Packers this year. I think we're kind of a clean sweep, although I do like the Corey Lindsley argument as well. 
All right, let's move along to defensive player of the year. Tyler, I'll, I'll let you start this time. Yeah, and I think this one's pretty easy as well. Um, not a whole lot of options, if, if we're being quite honest, but I'm going to go with Kenny Clark. The dude just keeps – he just gets better every day. Uh, you know, I remember, and I've talked about this a couple times, but when the Packers drafted him, I was like, who the heck is this guy? What is Ted Thompson doing? But every single game – Every single season, this guy just gets better, and now he is one of the top five defensive tackles, if not top three defensive tackles. You really want to start getting into it in the game. I think he surpassed Mike Daniels this year. Um, I think Mike Daniels still had a good year, but Kenny Clark was just that good. So I, 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 uh, I'm going to put my vote in for Kenny Clark on this one. Jacob? I'm actually going to go with Jair Alexander, and I'm using the term value here, which is (laughs) – it's kind of an interesting argument every year when we talk about MVP awards, because there was that year where Peyton Manning didn't play and people were trying to give him the MVP award. <laughs> the Colts were terrible, but you know, the, there was a time in the early 2010s. I think that's how we designate those now when the Packers defense was altogether different, completely different unit, whether Clay Matthews was on the field or off of it. And I think you saw that this year with Jair Alexander as well. He can play outside he can play inside. Personally, I think the Packers' best bet going forward is Alexander as the nickel corner, uh, the slot corner, and hopefully Kevin King can stay healthy, and then Josh Jackson develops, Tony Brown, somebody else on the outside. But the fact that Alexander can be a boundary corner or a slot corner is incredible value to this defense. I think he was a game-changer right away. Brian Gutekunst didn't do everything right this offseason. There's obviously been some misses as well, but his – first pick in the draft the Packers got an extra first round pick to draft somebody that resembles Chris Harris which for those of you that don't watch the Broncos that guy's very very good and very valuable to that defense so I'll take Jair I like both of your answers quite a bit to me these are you know undoubtedly the two best defensive players on this team this year and the two most valuable I think you both nailed it on the head in the fact that both of these players are players that make everyone else better around them uh, Jair certainly this defense has been better when he's been out there I, I think the San Francisco game was a huge indicator of that uh, that the the 49ers passed all over the Packers when Jair was out and that was kind of a, a trend throughout the season. As far as Kenny Clark, uh, you talk about some of those linebackers benefiting because Kenny Clark was eating blocks. The difference between Blake Martinez with Kenny Clark in front of him and Blake Martinez without Kenny Clark, uh, there was a big difference there as well. So mm-hmm. I like both of them. I'm going to lean towards Kenny Clark on this one as the defensive player of the year. I think there was a slight hitting of the rookie wall uh, by Jair Alexander the last few weeks. He had a lot of really tough assignments, uh, but I do think there was just a little bit of that. And I think had he maybe finished just a little bit stronger, uh, I could have maybe leaned in that direction, but because Kenny Clark was so consistent and so good throughout the season, I'm going to lean in that direction. Either way, you can't go wrong with either one. Um, Rookie of the year. I think this one's very easy. I think we can all agree uh, that this is Tim Boyle, Uh, Tim Boyle. (laughs) Uh, you know, <laughs> only active for one game and the Packers did not lose that game. So they are undefeated when Tim Boyle is active. So I think it just goes without saying that Tim Boyle is the rookie of the year. And uh, I don't see how there could be any argument, uh, but I'm going to assume that both of you are probably on the Jair Alexander train. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's probably know, the easiest one. Yeah. And I did tell Tim Boyle today that you love him. So <laughs> he's going to know that, but <clears throat> I think he knows. I hope he knows. Um, 
so yeah, I, I, Jair Alexander, phenomenal rookie season, uh, getting him plus a first round pick uh, in the first round last year, as you mentioned, Jacob, a, a huge steal and certainly something that they can build on going forward. And uh, I think he has the opportunity to be a, a major cornerstone for this franchise. So great, great season for him. Um, Tyler, I'm going to start with you on this one. Biggest disappointment. There are so many, so many different ways I could go with this. Uh, there's the preseason heroes, Oren Burks, Josh Jackson, um, I expect more of the safety group, but I'm going to go with the offensive line. Um, I know I just picked Corey Lindsley for the offensive MVP, but the offensive line as a whole was just not what we were accustomed to. I know there was a ton of injuries, you know, throughout the group during the entire year. Brian Balaga missed several games. Uh, you know, Bakhtiari was banged up. The inside was just massacred with injuries. I- I'm going to go with the offensive line, though. They did give up 53 sacks this year. And when you couple that with Rogers' injuries and his inability to be as good out of structure as we were accustomed to him being, uh, it just wasn't good for the offense as a whole. And the offensive line really needed to step up this year specifically, and they didn't really do so. And you could probably make some, make an argument that some of those sacks were due to Rogers holding the ball or missing reads or missing uh, pre pre snap assignments or you know whatever you want to call it, but. The point is they gave up 53 sacks, and when you do that, you're not going to have a successful offense. Sure. Jacob, what about you? Yeah, it's funny because there's so many candidates for this unfortunate award that I changed my mind probably two or three times as Tyler was talking there. I'm actually going to go with the safety position because you came into the year, Mike McCarthy was glowing about Kentrell Bryce. We kind of saw how that went, obviously. Josh Jones, they had to have been hoping for a big second-year leap. He didn't make it. Uh, if Brian Gutekunst is listening to the show, and if he's not, shame on him. Uh, <laughs> Josh Jones is born to be an inside linebacker and play close to the line of scrimmage. Give him a number in the 40s if you have to, and just let him hunt. Uh, I think that's what's best for him. Tremont Williams was a stabilizer at safety, but he probably did that by just playing average, which is unfortunate that you're pretty much settling for average at that position. Haha, Clinton Dix was traded. Before he was traded, he wasn't very good. They just didn't have anything, and now we're talking about a position that it wasn't as bad as when, what was it, M.D. Jennings and Jerron McMillan, I believe, started a <laughs> playoff game yep. for the Packers at safety five years ago or so. It's not that bad, but it's rough. And the Packers, I mean, you know, for as much as we're talking about pass rusher, and I'm sure everybody's going to, between myself included, between now and draft day about how that needs to be a target with the 12th overall pick, Safety needs to be addressed as well, whether that's free agent money or if that's a you know top 15 pick. But that position was awful this year, and uh, I think it's something that Brian Gutekunst – well, you can tell he knows because they tried to put in a waiver claim on DJ Swearinger. So at least he's aware. Now he has to fix the problem. Yeah, this is such a difficult – this is obviously, I think, to me, the most difficult – uh, debate. In fact, I, I had one picked out, and as you guys are discussing this, I'm going back and forth in my mind even more. <laughs> I think Kyler Fackrell saved the edge rushers uh, because I think you could make mm. a strong, strong argument for you know Reggie Gilbert, Nick Perry, Clay Matthews as a group. But and I think if Kyler Fackrell stayed at his same level, I think that's a ma- massively disappointing group. The guards, unquestionably, uh, Byron Bell was my worst graded player by far of any player on the team this year, so that was a nightmare. You could make an argument for Aaron Rodgers, but I think the injury certainly plays a part there. And I certainly appreciate what he's tried to do these last couple of weeks by playing and, and bringing him back against the Jets and things like that. I'm going to go with Jimmy Graham. 
And, you know, on, on the surface, 55 catches, 636 yards, 11.6 yard average. Um, his catches are basically the same from a year ago. Uh, his average is actually quite a bit up. And, and it, on the surface, it may not look that bad, uh, but only two touchdowns. And, and really, this was one of the biggest things that he was brought in for. And he has consistently been pretty much a double digit touchdown guy per season. So to only have two touchdowns is a massive disappointment. Only seven plays over 20 yards. That's his worst since his rookie season in which he barely played. And he just never had any sort of impact on any portion of the game. Um, He was supposed to be somebody that they could throw to over the middle. He wasn't. Um, He was supposed to be someone where if Rodgers got in trouble, he could just kind of throw it up to Jimmy Graham, kind of maybe be that bailout type of guy. He wasn't supposed to be a red zone threat. He wasn't. He was never supposed to be a good run blocker. He wasn't, though. Um, And I just don't think he ever added any value that was expected out of him. And I think really we've seen to me that this offense, when it's been best, has been when it's had a tight end that it could use in the middle of the field. And they haven't had that since Jared Cook, you know, when he ended the year really strong and uh, they didn't get it again from Jimmy Graham. And and to me, that was a massive disappointment. And again, one of the real big reasons that they struggled this season. Can't disagree. It was up there with the ones I was looking at. Yeah, yeah, like you guys said, there's so many options. <laughs> yeah, and it's unfortunate that it worked that way. I've been a long admirer of Jimmy Graham. I've liked the way he's played the game, and I was excited when they brought him to Green Bay. I thought that would be a a renaissance getting to play with Aaron Rodgers. My buddy Marcus Eversall, who, Andy, you know uh, yep. pretty well, obviously. Uh, I went to college with him, and I was talking to him before the game or before the Bears game this year, the first one, and he was like, oh, the over-under on Jimmy Graham's touchdowns is seven. I was like, that's money in the bank. Like, bet yep. that tomorrow. And he didn't even come close to that. No, I, I 100% agree. I, I thought he was going to be a fantasy football stud this year and, and uh, obviously an NFL <laughs> stud at tight end, and, and it certainly just did not work out that way. All right, biggest surprise for me was Kyler Fackrell. This is a player who was really in you know competition for a lot of fans and a lot of people on this podcast, myself included, and certainly we were not the only ones who thought that his job was on the line and maybe Kendall Donerson was going to take that spot coming out of the training camp. And I don't think anyone really thought that you know Kyler Fackrell had any real value left as he was playing in the preseason. And to be fair, he struggled the last two seasons. He showed nothing in preseason. Even the first couple of weeks, he started off pretty slow. And then for whatever reason, something clicked. And I am by no way, shape, or form saying that Kyler Fackrell is the answer at edge rusher and he is the be-all, end-all, and he should even necessarily be a starting edge rusher. But he is a really nice piece as a rotational edge rusher, 10.5 sacks, showed pressure. He showed he could cover. I thought his game against Seattle was phenomenal. Uh, Two games with over three sacks, although one of those has a few asterisks in it. Uh, But the game against Seattle was fantastic. And he was just by far and away the best edge player on this team this year. And I think that was a really pleasant surprise. Jacob, what about you? Yeah, I'm actually, Kyler Fackrell definitely belongs at the top of this list. This is a guy who we were talking about if Vince Beagle should make the roster over him. And Vince Beagle is special teams fodder if that in new orleans right now uh so nothing real of impact there and fact roll like you said ten and a half sacks i mean you know obviously there's some asterisks but ten and a half sacks is ten and a half sacks that's the first packers 10 sack season since nick perry's contract year that's impressive no matter what we slice it i just for the sake of something else i'm gonna go with tony brown i know that's somebody andy you've hyped him up quite a bit uh you know the packers you come into this season and you're like kevin king and then they spent two high picks on uh, Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson. And then they ended up signing Bashad Breeland. 
And this guy ended up being a starter by the end of the year. He was taking snaps away from Josh Jackson, which hurts my soul as somebody who loves him. But um, Tony Brown looks like a player. And it's definitely somebody that I'm going to have my eyes on a lot when it comes to training camp, preseason, that sort of stuff. Because, I mean, nothing should be given, obviously. I think that, you know, competition breeds excellence. That's something Gutekunst talked about in his first press conference as Packers general manager. And I think that's something that I'm not saying Tony Brown should be the starter opposite of, you know, Kevin King or Jair Alexander, but he certainly should be in the conversation of somebody who gets reps with the number ones. Yeah, you can win with Tony Brown. I love how he plays the game. A couple of mental errors here and there that he's got to get cleaned up, but certainly for an undrafted free agent guy who was signed late in the process, uh, certainly overachieved expectations and has been a really pleasant surprise. I like that one a lot. Tyler, what about you? Yeah, I think obviously Kyler Fackrell is the head of this group, um, and I really like Tony Brown. He's a guy, when you watch Alabama film from 2017, uh, he was a guy that kind of popped out at you. He was he was at the center of a lot of plays. It looked like Nick Saban trusted him to do a lot of different things, and to me that speaks to a lot. Uh, and we kind of saw that with his role on the Packers, who's asked to do quite a few things. Um, I think it's a good pick as well. But I'm going to go I'm gonna go with Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and I think it's because – he really did step up into that number two wide receiver role. Uh, Geronimo Allison struggled with injuries this year. Uh, you know, that, that sucks for him. It happens. But Mark Wells-Veldes-Scantling took advantage of the opportunity, and I think we're talking about him now as a future of the group. Um, he's obviously got some things that he needs to clean up. He's got some concentration drops and just some mental errors, it looks like. But he, the talent is there, and I think that with another offseason, especially an offseason, a full offseason working with Rodgers, uh, him and Equinemia St. Brown, but – Marquez Valdez-Scantling, both of them working with Aaron Rodgers this offseason. I can't wait to see what they can bring to the table next year. I like it. I like it. Certainly a lot of explosive playmaking ability for MBS there. So perfect. Great answers, guys. And then kind of last question in this best of uh, and worst of season. Uh, what was your best moment of the year? And I'll just start. I was at the Chicago game earlier this year. And, uh, you know, for Rodgers to go down in that game, and I know we've talked about it on the podcast before uh, pretty, you know, quite a bit, but uh, that game was just a magical game. And to see him kind of come out of that tunnel thinking, me being in the stands and everyone in the stands just kind of thinking his year was going to be over. I'm sure obviously people watching at home are kind of the same way. And to see him come out of the tunnel and then lead this amazing comeback, it was just a really amazing game to be a part of. And uh, to me, that was by far the highlight of the year. And then a week later, we were at the, you know, claim. Matthews uh, hit that kind of cost them a a, you know penalty that cost them the game and it was just all downhill from there so that was the best moment and I I just don't think it ever got better than that yeah it's unfortunate that it didn't I'm gonna pick one specific the so the Randall Cobb touchdown I was (laughs) chasing a battery for my camera guy and I was standing in the end zone as Cobb caught the ball and then I just saw it looked like the Red Sea just parted and I looked around, and I mean, nobody's standing around me, but I'm like, that guy's going to score. Yep. And it, w- it was incredible to watch that whole thing happen. I could still see that picture clear as day with my eyes. And for somebody who I really like Randall Cobb, uh, the, the person as well as the player from what little I've gotten to interact with him and see the way that he does things in the community of Green Bay and stuff like that. Um, for somebody who during the, you know, during the offseason, Randall Cobb got a lot of unsolicited, well, at least in my opinion, unsolicited hatred because – the Packers essentially chose him instead of Jordy Nelson. Jordy, yeah. And I, I understand that to a point Jordy's a fan favorite even more so than Cobb is. But for Cobb to just basically come out and say, you know, in the first game of the season, 
this is what I do. This is who I am. And he has a big game. Now, obviously, like you mentioned, Andy, it didn't get better than that. It didn't get any better than that for Cobb after that as well. But that was a fantastic moment. And you could see in the stands, you know, the first half of that game, Andy, you were there. You can probably vouch for this too, that, you know, the Bears fans that were in the stands, and there were a lot of them, and they were pretty vocal. Yeah. <laughs> 20 to nothing. Yep. And I just looked around and I saw this one guy sitting in the stands and the look on his face was those two guys just did it to me again. And that's something that when the book on the season's written, which is probably started and most of the way finished by now, but uh, that's something that I think sticks out as one of the few positives. So that's, that's my moment. I don't think anything really gets close. Tyler. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta agree with you guys. That Chicago game was amazing. Uh, if you do follow my work in uh, an endearing ode to that game and to Aaron Rodgers, and it, it was, um, it was a very fun piece to write, and it was very emotional, you know, in the terms of excitement. Um, and specifically that Randall Cobb play, I do remember because uh, it was the only time this year that I was up and jumping around and hooting and hollering, and I just was so excited, and I'll never forget that raw emotion. Um, there's certain there's certain plays in the history of any football team or any team in general that just make you feel like you're back in that moment. And the Randall Cobb play is one of those plays. Um, I just I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever be able to replicate, you know, that type of situation again. And I think that makes it incredibly memorable. Yeah, super fun game and started off one and zero, and certainly felt like a, a, a spark for the rest of the season. What was going to come? Unfortunately, it didn't. But tough to take away that moment. All right, uh, we're going to go some lightning round here. Players who have played their potential last game for the Packers. Um, Tyler, I'm going to start with you. I'm just going to go one by one, and I want you just to say yes or no, whether or not they'll be back next year. Clay Matthews. Uh, No. Randall Cobb. Yes. Jimmy Graham. Yes. Nick Perry. Yes. Tremont Williams. Yes. Brian Bulaga. Yes. And Mason Crosby. No. All right, Jacob, same thing for you. Clay Matthews. Yes. Randall Cobb. No. Jimmy Graham. No. Nick Perry. Yes. Tremont Williams. Yes. Brian Bulaga. Yes. And Mason Crosby. Yes. All right, I'm going to do the same thing. Clay Matthews will not be back. Randall Cobb, maybe, but I'm going to say no. Jimmy Graham is going to be dependent upon the head coach, but I'm going to say yes. Uh, Nick Perry, no. Tremont Williams, yes. Brian Bulaga, yes, if he doesn't retire. And Mason Crosby, yes. Um, Those are all going to be really interesting ones to kind of keep an eye on. Um, Let me just ask you guys each this. Jacob, if you could have for sure one back and for sure one gone, which one would you want back and and which one would you want gone? Of that entire group? uh, Yep. Yep. Oh, gosh. Um, Wow, that made it really tough. If I could for sure have one back. I would say, well, my nostalgia says Clay Matthews. He's one of my favorite players ever. But I'll say Brian Bulaga. I think that his injury history certainly is there, but he played more than 70% of the snaps this season, so it's overblown to some degree. For sure, when gone, I don't want to wish anybody to not be in Green Bay, obviously. If I had to pick one, I would say Randall Cobb just because I want them to force themselves to get better at wide receiver. I would like to add some high-end talent to that position and I don't think you can do that if you just keep bringing because if you do that if you bring Cobb back then you're basically saying okay Cobb's going to start Adams is going to start and we really have one open position and one of those three young guys has to win one job and then they probably don't add a receiver 
early ish in the draft. And I would like them to do that. So uh, I'll say Balaga to come back and Cobb to Cobb to leave. Tyler, what about you? Uh, I agree with Jacob. I want Balaga back. And the reason I want Balaga back is, yeah, he's had a ton of injuries, but going into 2019, he's on the last year of his deal. Uh, I do think that he'd be vital to the development of your new future right tackle, uh, which I do think they will address in the 2019 draft. And that's why I want Bulaga back. I think he will be back because there's no reason to not bring him back. Um, and then as far as a player that that is not most definitely not going to come back, I don't want to come back. Like Jacob, it's hard because you don't want to say like, oh, this guy is terrible. I don't want him playing for my team. Um, but if I'm looking at the long-term – cohesiveness and chemistry of this team. I did say he was going to be back Jimmy Graham, but I, I'm going to say Jimmy Graham for this because I, I do feel like when he's on the field, if he is not being that mismatch that he is supposed to be due to his athleticism and his size, then he's a little bit of a, uh, what's the word? Um, liability. Basically, yeah, liability. Thank you. Um, because he can't block. He's, he's one-dimensional. And you're not going to fool anybody by putting him in, in line and saying, oh, Jimmy Graham's in line. I wonder if they're going to run the football. And even if they are, you don't care because he can't block. So I, I think that would probably be my answer for that situation. Fair enough. I'm also going to say Brian Bulaga back. I'm going to say Nick Perry gone. I just think he hasn't shown that he's been able to stay healthy enough. And I think he had one good end of the season at, at one point and, um, you know, in a contract year and pretty much since then ha- hasn't done what Green Bay expected them to do. I think uh, if you kind of look at the contract numbers, yes, they take a hit next year, but it, it's the lesser of all evils when you look at his contract going forward. So that would be my pick there. Um, we've started to get some coaching rumors so far already. Of course, uh, we know that they've interviewed Jim Caldwell and Chuck Pagano already. A uh, rumor today, or I guess not even rumor necessarily, the word came out today that Pat Fitzgerald is expected to interview for the position head coach in Northwestern. And then it was also announced by the Patriots beat writer Jim McBride that the Packers are expected to request permission to interview Josh McDaniels and Brian Flores. We have all off season, or at least the next couple weeks, you would think, to talk about the head coaching position. Um, but who, just at the top of your head, what are your kind of thoughts on these rumors and, and who's kind of your top candidate at the moment? Uh, and Jacob, we'll start with you. Well, uh, as I, I tweeted it out earlier myself, so I would like to think I broke the story, but I know I didn't. I'm not nearly important enough for that. But um, <laughs> I did tweet that somebody inside the stadium told me today that Aaron Rodgers' preferred choice as the head coach is Josh McDaniels. Now take that for what you will. It's not like Mark Murphy told me that just somebody I've gotten to know over the years, but he has told me some decent stuff in the past. He told me Ted Thompson wouldn't be back uh, after last season ended. So I trust him to some degree on that. As far as the rumors that you brought up go, Chuck Pagano, Jim Caldwell, those guys don't move the needle at all for me. I honestly think that if they hired either one of those guys, I would be very disappointed just because the Packers, it's the best head coaching opening in the NFL. It's a rare job that almost never comes open. And you're settling for two retreads that, quite frankly, have never been successful when they've been a NFL head coach, uh, say for Jim Caldwell. But that was almost entirely because of Peyton Manning, at least in my opinion. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald, I'm sure Pat Fitzgerald's a fine coach. Uh, I, I watch Big Ten football. I'm a Michigan fan, so I watch Northwestern play relatively often. Uh They've never been overly successful in the Big Ten. Now, some of that's because they're Northwestern. They're not Ohio State. They're not Michigan. They're not Wisconsin. They're not Michigan State. I understand that. But that would feel the, – the way I explained it to somebody 
earlier was if this was, I coach youth baseball. If this was a youth baseball team, Mark Murphy's the head coach. And this is like batting his son clean up and playing him at shortstop. If he hires Pat Fitzgerald, in my opinion, I, I just think that in order to lure Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern, you're going to have to give him a boatload of money uh, to entice him. And he's just, Pat Fitzgerald isn't the coach that you do that for. You know, you do that for if you decide you want to hire Nick Saban, and I'm not suggesting that they do do that, but if you decide you want to hire Nick Saban, that's somebody at least I could say, okay, I understand why they gave him $11 million a season to do that. That's Pat Fitzgerald's not the guy like that. I have stated I don't have a specific guy just because I don't know how people interview. I don't know. You know, unless you're in that room, it's really hard to have a specific guy who hasn't, unless he's been an NFL head coach before. Obviously, if Bill Belichick said he wanted to come to Green Bay, I would know right away that he's a very good coach. Um, I've said that my preference is an offensive coach who's younger and invested in analytics, so he's going to go for it on fourth down. Uh, he's going to you know, play the percentages on going for two, stuff like that, just to have that information in his head. Maybe that means Lincoln Riley. Uh, maybe that means, well, I've said I don't want Josh McDaniels, but uh, maybe that means somebody like that. Um, you know, Andy, the list that you've compiled out of people whose resumes you're not even accepting, I agree with a pretty large majority of those. Um, but if you had to sit me down and say, gun to your head, pick somebody right now, I would probably pick Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma. He checks all those boxes. I would have some concern of a college coach transitioning to the NFL, but he coached Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield vouches for him. Uh, Kyler Murray obviously vouches for him, and they pretty much had a seamless transition offensively. And I think that you add that creative offensive mind to the most talented quarterback in the history of the sport. I think that that would be a, uh, a big hire for green Bay. And I think that Riley would have to listen because of the rarity of this job coming open and the rarity of this kind of job in general. Yeah, it could certainly uh, get behind a lot of those. Um, Tyler, what, you know, just quickly, you know, who's a guy that you're kind of keeping an eye on. Yeah. So I, I'm going to go a little bit out of the box with this one. And, you know, the trend right now is to get a young offensive hot shot. And I can understand the names like Lincoln Riley or Josh McDaniels or, you know, stuff like that. And, like, I can get behind that. Um, I think I do kind of want a three-headed monster at at uh, the head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator position. Um, and what I would envision for my head coach would be somebody who is going to be a motivator of men uh, somebody who's going to come in and knows how to light a fire under their butts and get them going. And just somebody who can get this, this team playing with the passion and energy that is required to play in today's NFL. And I, I don't think this is necessarily going to happen. I, I don't know how likely it is, but I would love to see a guy like Vic Fangio or like a Chris Richard, a guy who has been ascending through their ranks. Vic Fangio is obviously kind of found at home as a defensive coordinator and I'm not sure why he hasn't taken a head coaching job but you know a guy like Chris Richard has been ascending through the coaching ranks at Seattle and Dallas he's got that Dallas defense playing out of their minds this year Uh, so I'm looking at a guy like that a guy who can come in and then you have an offensive and a defensive coordinator to handle play calling and scheming and stuff like that. No, I like it. I, I like both of those choices. Um, you know, both of those are on my I kind of like I'm okay with type of list, but I could certainly, you know, get behind I think either of those choices. 
for me, and I tweeted this out today, when I look at amazing or great coaching candidates in this list, I can't find any. And I've been, I've been looking at all these mm-hmm. you know, potential coaches really, really hard. And I think all of them have flaws. And I think there's inherent risk with pretty much every single one of them. So Green Bay is obviously going to have to do their due diligence. There's a few that have piqued my interest. Eric Bieniemy, Matt LaFleur, Lincoln Riley, Adam Gaze, Brian Flores. Of course, that would be if Gaze actually is, is let go in Miami. I'm excited but nervous about Josh McDaniels. To me, Josh McDaniels would either be an A or an F, um, and I'd be excited oh. that it could be an A, um, but I just don't think wow. there's going to be a middle ground there. I think it would either work fantastic or it would just blow up, um, and I would be excited mm. because I think I, – I don't know that that's necessarily the wrong way to go. If, you, if, if you're going to take a chance with the last few years of Aaron Rodgers – you know what? Give me the chance for it to be the best. And I think that potentially the best case scenario would be with Josh McDaniels. So I'd be nervous, uh, but I'd be excited. Um, and then, you know, a, a couple others that I'd be okay with Vic Pangio, Pat, uh, Pat Fitzgerald, Zach Taylor, Dave too, Matt Campbell. Those are kind of the people who are on my list, but I, I don't love any of them. Kind of one that keeps coming back to me and is growing on me uh, more and more as I go, as days go on is Eric Bieniemy. Um, but I, I think his coordinator choices would be huge. I think his interview would be huge. And, and again, I just I just don't have a, an amazing feel for any of these guys. But I like what Eric Bieniemy would potentially bring to the table. Uh, we're running super long here, so I want to kind of wrap things <laughs> up really, really quick. And that's okay. We've got a lot to talk about. Hey, I haven't been on in three weeks. I had a gallbladder out. So I, I, have, I have some things to talk about today. It's all right. Um, okay. But uh, uh, the, the 2019 schedule has been set. Uh, their home games are will be against the Bears, the Lions, the Vikings, of course. And then the Redskins and Eagles from the NFC East, the Broncos, Panthers, and Raiders. Um, and then the away games will be the Bears, Lions, and Vikings, uh, Giants and Cowboys from the NFC East, Chiefs and Chargers from the AFC West, and then the 49ers from the NFC West. So Chiefs, Chargers, uh, Cowboys on the road, those are going to be some tough games. Obviously, Vikings and Bears should be tough as well. Certainly some really tough games on the schedule. Anything that stood out to you with those games really quickly? Um, you know, I'm looking at the Chiefs game, and I can already see it being a media madhouse, Mahomes versus Rodgers. But, you know, Chargers is not going to be an easy game on the road, and neither is the Cowboys. So um, other than that, you know, not too concerning at the moment. Yeah, Mahomes-Rodgers should be fun. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's what, probably the one that sticks out the most. We also kind of learned a little bit more about where the Packers will pick in the draft. Uh, they will for sure pick number 12, obviously, unless they move the pick, but uh, they will have the 12th pick in the draft. The Saints pick will either be 28th, 30th, 31st, or 32nd. So they've got four different options dependent upon where the Saints finish in the postseason. And then they'll obviously have pick 44 in the second round. So three top 50 picks. This is obviously going to be a huge draft. I'm not necessarily looking for names yet. I know we're really early in the process, but really quickly, Tyler, I'll start with you. Yeah. So with the 12th pick, uh, you know, I was kind of counting it out today. And to my surprise, it looks like there could be six possible QB, QB needy teams in front of them. And I know that seems like a lot. And I was really surprised. So I had to go back through it again. But it looks like there could be six QB needy teams. So you know, if the Packers are walking away with uh, with the, from the draft with a guy like Quinnen Williams or Jonah Williams or, you know, Josh Allen, Deontay Thompson, the safety, there's a number of players that I would be satisfied for the Packers to get at the 12th spot. Obviously, there's not going to be six quarterbacks that go in the top 11 picks. That's just not going to happen. But uh, the free agent market for quarterbacks is weak this year, and the draft is pretty weak as well. So I, it's going to be very interesting to watch, but I think that's going to be the key to the Packers draft is kind of the QB market 
as a whole. Jacob? Well, Tyler, you did a pretty good job of killing anybody from reading Andy's section on quarterbacks in the draft guide. So <laughs> good job there. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want, I've given this rant before. I'll do it very quickly. The Packers have made three significant additions to their pass rushing room since 2011. They drafted Nick Perry in the first round. They signed Julius Peppers. And they drafted Kyler Fackrell with a top 100 pick. Uh, some have told me about Dayton Jones. The reason I don't count that is because he was drafted as a defensive lineman not, and then eventually moved uh, to the outside, which was strange for a lot of different reasons. But to me, I don't want to lock myself into one position, obviously, but it is December 30th. So, I mean, a lot's going to change between now and draft day when it actually hits. But to me, I think the Packers, I Tyler, I think we talked about this last week, but they've got to come out of this offseason with at least one vet, some, some combination of one veteran and two rookies or two veterans and a rookie, but they have to completely overhaul that pass rush room. I know that a lot was made of the Packers, you know, their sack rate numbers and their pressure numbers and all that good stuff. The reality is in the NFL, the reason, well, not the only reason, but the biggest reason the Chicago Bears defense is as good as it is is because they can get pressure with four guys, and they have seven guys back there to cover. And it's not just pressure. I mean, their front seven is vicious. And they send Akeem Hicks and Leonard Floyd and Khalil Mack at you, and away they go. Now, I'm not saying the Packers have to find Khalil Mack because, well, unless John Gruden has another generational player on his roster, players like that don't get traded. But they have to overhaul their pass rushing room, and they have to do significant. And I wouldn't be upset at all if they pick two pass rushers in the first round and went that route, if the board falls appropriately. Yeah, I'm on board too. I think this is at least at the, you know, the preliminary reports coming from the draft. One of the strongest positions in the draft is going to be edge rusher. And Green Bay has a a ton of need there. Even, Even if they bring back Perry and Clay and, you know, anyone else they want to bring back. This is going to be a huge position of need where they start building uh, towards the future. And and I think that's a, definitely a position that they're going to be able to target uh, early and often and, and really try to improve uh, their, their pass rush and their defense as a whole, because a better pass rush on the outside is going to set up Daniels and Clark inside. It's going to set up their corners to get more interceptions and turnovers. It's going to set up their, their offense with, uh, you know, better down and distances because they are forcing turnovers. Um, I mean, d- when was the last time the Packers had a forced a sack fumble? I mean, seriously, oh, I, maybe there was one recent, but what do you, mm. do you guys remember one? I know <laughs> first, the first one that comes to mind is Matthews had one in that giants wild card game a couple of years ago. And that was kind of weird because nobody really knew what was going on, but that's the first one that came to my mind. And that was two full seasons. Ago. Yeah. There's not one that certainly comes to the top of my, and I'm sure there's probably one and maybe the other team recover or whatever, but I can't remember the last time this team had a sack fumble. And uh, even if there were a couple out there, obviously it's not something that happens quite regularly. So it's a position that needs addressing. And I think it can make uh, really this whole team better. Cause again, those turnovers can lead, lead to better downs and distances and better field position for the offense as well. Really, really, really quickly. Who wins the Super Bowl? Jacob, I'll start with you. Saints over Patriots. All right. Tyler? I've got Chargers over Saints. All right. I'm going to go with the Saints winning the Super Bowl. I don't know who they're going to win against. I'll say, I'll say Chiefs. Uh, but I think, it's, I think there's a lot of flaws with the teams out there, and I think it's going to be a really interesting playoffs. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I would not rule out the Bears. I think their defense is playing phenomenal, and I think they're going to be a really tough out for a lot of teams. They're Hopefully they go out in really the first round. really strange when they lose to the Eagles on Sunday. Uh, hey, I'll yeah. love it. 
I'll love every <laughs> second of it. I will gladly be wrong. Last but not least, as we kind of close things out, one of the interesting reports that was out there today from Jason Locke and Fora, uh, Cardinals were willing to give Mike McCarthy full authority over coaching and personnel decisions. So basically making him the, the god of all things in operation of football for the Arizona Cardinals. And apparently he was not interested and turned that down. So the interest in Mike McCarthy apparently is already very real. And either he is looking for the perfect scenario um, or he legitimately wants to take some time off. So that'll be something to certainly keep an eye on going forward. Maybe he's hoping for that hometown Pittsburgh job. Should the the Steelers hire Tomlin, or maybe he wants to be reunited with John Dorsey and Elliot Wolf in Cleveland and wants that job. Or like I said, maybe he just wants to take the year off. Time will certainly tell. All right, fellas. A uh, huge thank you to both of you for uh, coming on today and, and helping me with this podcast. But more importantly, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you both on, uh, you did a fantastic job while I was out with the, the gallbladder issues and the surgery. You guys completely ran everything while I was out. You updated uh, Twitter. You posted everything. You downloaded everything. You guys just handled everything while I was out and super, super appreciative of that. Um, and certainly everything that you guys do for this team and for the podcast. Uh, you guys have been absolutely amazing. I um, also want to thank just everyone in involved in this podcast. Obviously this year from a regular season is coming to the coming to an end. We're also starting a new year 2019. And this is obviously our first year of having this podcast. So just want to take the time to thank Tyler and Jacob, of course, but also Andrew Murtag, Daniel Kotnick, Dusty Evely, Jacob Morley, Jake Turner, Janelle Mackey, Josh Zirkle, Chris Schimmel, Kyle Fellows, Mark Eckel, Matt Fralick, Matub, Mike Wentland, Nick Schmitz, Ross Uglum, Steve Perhack, Trevor Jossart, and Zach Jacobson. And of course, uh, all of our amazing guests that we've had throughout the course of the year as well. We are now officially at a, and done with 159 episodes. We haven't missed a single episode. We've had a bunch of bonus content in there as well. Just super proud of the team. And thank you so much to everyone that's listened to us. Um, huge thank you to everyone involved for making this such an amazing podcast and and I want to say this as well for for people who are thinking that you know what maybe this the the seasons is is done and you know maybe you'll come back around draft time or maybe you'll come back starting next season I think this podcast especially in the next few weeks and the next few months is going to be some um, absolutely amazing amazing material in fact I would go as far to say I think this coming off season is going to hopefully be way 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 more fun than what this regular season had to offer for Packer fans certainly new head coach new coaching staff. I think they're going to be very aggressive on moving forward with and, and, and releasing players and not resigning players that were on this team already. I think there's going to be trades. I think they're going to be aggressive in free agency. They've got a massive draft coming up, three picks in the top 50. We've got, of course, then OTAs and minicamp with a brand new coach. And that's going to lead right into training camp. And then obviously, before you know it, we will be playing games again, even though it seems like a very long nine months away. So this is going to be an incredible offseason. We're going to have a ton of coverage for you. We're going to cover every player that's on this team, the full 90-man roster. We're going to have tons of great draft content. Uh, tons of people on this podcast, including Tyler and Jacob and myself, uh, are, are huge, huge, huge draft nerds. Ross Uglum does a phenomenal job. Andrew and Kyle are huge draft guys. Uh, and I know, you know, I could name about 10 more of the people who are on this podcast. And I know Dusty gets pretty involved in the draft. So there's going to be a ton of draft content. Same thing with free agency. So look forward to that. And of course, as uh, breaking news of the head coach and everything else comes, we will be all over that as well. So stay with us. Uh, keep uh, pack a day podcast on the top of your podcast list because this is going to be an incredible off season. Thank you as always for for following along again, Jacob and Tyler. Thanks so much today. Any final thoughts from you guys? Anything that you want to pump before we go? Yeah, just real quick. I wanted to. You mentioned everybody on there. I just wanted to thank them for 
making mine and Tyler's job very easy while you were away. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like we were getting podcasts sent to us at four o'clock in the morning saying, Hey, post this real quick or anything like that. So they made our jobs really easy on that, but obviously we could not fill the shoes of the lion King here. So (laughs) we're happy to have you back. (laughs) No, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Tyler, anything from you? No, I think Jacob hit it on the head. The The rest of the team was amazing as well. So they deserve probably 90% of the credit. All we did was click submit. So it was it was a really easy job thanks to them. Yeah, you guys aren't supposed to tell everyone that that's the secret, that I actually don't do anything around <laughs> here, that everyone's just amazing and I don't have to do much. And, and it's uh, literally, and I say it jokingly, but it's 100% the case. Um, everyone does a phenomenal job. Everyone owns their own content, their own podcast. They all get it in on time. Everyone's willing to jump in when there's issues or technical difficulties. So just a phenomenal group to be a part of. And I'm super, super happy that we have the group that we have. So if you're not following us already on Twitter, follow us uh, at Packaday Podcast on Twitter. You can file, follow Tyler at Tyler underscore Grez, G-R-E-Z. You can follow Jacob at Jacob Westendorf. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. Make sure to get the Cheesehead TV draft guide. I'm going to be pumping it a ton, but all three of us will be writing for it. I'll be doing quarterbacks and receivers. Uh, Tyler is going to be doing defensive line, and Jacob's going to be doing offensive line, and the team that puts that together is just awesome. So make sure to check that out. Have a safe and happy new year, everyone. And as always, and as we enter a vital 2019 offseason, we always say and we always finish with Go Pack Go. Seconds ago, ball just outside the four. Roger shotgun looks to his right. Snap to Arod. Throws right side. Yes! Touchdown! And a dagger! The dagger to Andrew Paulus on the right side! Aaron pointing to the right now. Gets the snap. Looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Leaping right yes! to Bantanetta. Yes! Touchdown Green Bay! A spectacular throw and catch! from the 42 New York, fourth down and two. Snap to A-Rod. Looking downfield, scrambles right. 